like regardless of what you think of Jesus or Christianity, like something that's undeniable is that was kind of like a, a, a pinpoint, a marker in history that things weren't the same after that. Uh, and for Christians, we believe that Easter answers the question, well, why? Like who is Jesus? The resurrection answers that question. Easter and the resurrection is what, is what answered that question for the first century followers of Jesus. Like those who were there, those who were on the ground, those who are witnessing all these things, uh, you know, firsthand, Easter and the resurrection is what answered the question for them of who is Jesus. It was the resurrection that convinced them of who he was. It's, it's what convinced them that, that he was, you know, they were, they were uh, mostly Jewish. They convinced them that he was their Messiah, that he was the Son of God, that he was God in the flesh. It was the resurrection that convinced them of that. It wasn't Jesus' teachings that convinced them of that, although he taught some pretty incredible things, things that we still reflect on today. It wasn't the miracles of Jesus that convinced them of that, although he did many miracles and he drew crowds and people came from all over the place to be healed and to be fed and all those things, but that's not what ultimately convinced them. It wasn't even the, the life that he lived and the example that he gave, although he, he gave a great example for, for us to follow. It was the resurrection that convinced them. Because the teachings and the miracles and the life that he lived without the resurrection hold little to no meaning. They're just, it's just another person in history that taught some good things and gave a good example. But the resurrection is what convinced them. It's what allowed them to see Jesus like clearly for the, the, the first time of who he really is. That's the whole ballgame is the physical resurrection of Jesus. And, and, and that's what we believe. Like, a, a, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that's what we kind of, that's where we put our foot on the ground. And if you're not a Christian, like, you should just know right off the bat, like, that's just, that's what it is. That's what it's built on, the resurrection of Jesus. And, and the reason that we believe that, and this is a mistake that we've made for a long time, I think, is we, we make this mistake of saying maybe our faith is built upon um, a book, our faith is built upon the Bible, or I believe that Jesus rose on the, from the dead because the Bible tells me so, and like, the Bible says it and that settles it, but that's actually not why we believe it. Uh, we believe it because an event happened in history and multiple eyewitnesses were there and they recorded it. And decades, a few hundred years later, all those eyewitness accounts, they were compiled together into what we now call the Bible, but it was eyewitness account after eyewitness account after eyewitness account. We believe in the resurrection because first century followers of Jesus, people uh, like John, people like Matthew, they saw it with their own eyes and they wrote an account. We believe it because guys like Mark, who wasn't initially a follower of Jesus, he was a Greek guy, but Mark knew Peter, who was an eyewitness, and Mark gets Peter's account from him, and he documents the resurrection. We believe it because another Greek guy named Luke, who was a doctor, he traveled around the known world, he knew the eyewitnesses, he knew the apostles, he interviewed them, he said, when he sits down to write his account of Jesus' life, he says, I've put together an orderly account, I've talked to everyone so that you may know the certainty of what's happened among us. And Luke documents the resurrection of Jesus. We believe it because, because of James. James might be my favorite person as to why I take the resurrection seriously because James was the brother of Jesus. Like Jesus' half-brother James, who as Jesus is alive, does not think his brother is anything special, does not think he's the Messiah or the Son of God. That Jesus' family, we read in the Gospels, think he's a little bit crazy. And let's be honest, if you have a brother and he starts going around like teaching things and saying, yeah, you know, I'm like the Messiah, the Son of God. You'd think he was a little bit crazy too. So James is not a follower of Jesus. And then after the resurrection, James goes, oh, he becomes a leader in the early church. He writes a letter to Christians in which he declares his brother, his Lord. We take the resurrection seriously because of the Apostle Paul who pretty much every credible historian says, yeah, Paul was a real person. We know he lived. We know he did these things. 
The Apostle Paul steps onto the pages of history. He's not a Christian. He's not sympathetic to the Christian uh, religion or cause at all. In fact, like he hates Christians. He's a Jewish man, and he thinks Christianity, this, this Jesus way, this Jesus movement, he thinks it's an affront to his Judaism. He thinks it's a slap in the face. It's, it's blasphemy. And so Paul wants to wipe the church off the face of the planet until he has an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And he writes letters to followers of Jesus in the Roman Empire and says, he's my Messiah. And he rose from the dead. See, that's why we believe in the resurrection, these eyewitness accounts that have incredible historical veracity. And then you pull into account just the weight of history, that there are other uh, contemporaries of those eyewitnesses that lived in the first and second century. And while they're not followers of Jesus, they don't claim to follow him, they don't claim that he rose from the dead. People like Josephus or Tacitus or Pliny the Younger point to the fact that something happened, that there was this growing movement of people known as followers of the way or this Nazarene sect, and they worship this crucified Jesus. In, in other words, well before there was ever this in the form that we have it, the New Testament documents of the eyewitness accounts and the Jewish scriptures bound together and put in one place, before that ever existed, before the institutional church was ever a thing, followers of Jesus were basing their faith on one thing, that Jesus rose from the dead. That within a few decades of the events of his death and resurrection, within a few decades uh, of the movement getting launched, there are tens of thousands of Jesus followers all throughout the Roman Empire, and they're declaring one message, that Jesus is Lord, that he's king. And if you were to, to sit and to ask them, well, why do you say that? They would say, well, not, it's not because I read it in a book, and it's not because somebody told me. It's because a man rose from the dead. And many of them would say, and I saw him with my own eyes, or I know those that did. See, that's, that's the history that we stand in. That's like where our faith is built. That's what we celebrate today. It's the resurrection. And when we see the resurrection, it changes everything. It changes how we see Jesus. Because there's a lot of different ways that you can see Jesus. And uh, there, there used to be debate over whether the historical Jesus was a real person or not. That's not really debate anymore. Pretty much all historians say, yeah, like th this guy lived and he was a kind of this traveling, homeless teacher of some sort. But the resurrection reframes how we see him. And when we change and have the resurrection reframe how we see Jesus, it changes everything about our lives. It reshapes everything about how I think about myself and how I think about other people and, and how I engage the world and, and, and how I, I see like compassion and generosity and faith and love and forgiveness and all of those things, it reshapes all of it. And that's what Easter is. It's an invitation. It's, a, it's an invitation. Easter invites us to come and see the risen king. Like, that, that at its base level, that's what it is. Easter is not an invitation to say, hey, sign on the dotted line. Here's a, st a statement of beliefs or a set of facts to believe in or, or you know, here, here's some doctrine or some dogma. No, Easter says, hey, just, just come and with your own eyes see the risen King Jesus. And if you do that, just watch and see what happens next. And, and so we're going to talk about that a little bit. That's what we've been talking about if you've been tracking along with us the past couple of weeks. Um, and we've been in a series called Come and See, and that's the the basic invitation throughout the Gospels of, of how people start following Jesus is just, hey, come see for yourselves. And that's what the invitation is to be for us as well. Just come see for yourselves. No matter where you land on that spectrum, maybe you come in, you're like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a critic, I'm cynical, I'm skeptical, or maybe you're on the other end and you're like, no, I'm a, I'm a committed Christian, I've been following Jesus for a long time. The invitation is the same. It's come and see for yourself. Don't take someone else's word for it. You know, if you're on the critical, cynical side, it's like, well, don't just believe what, what someone else told you or what you saw on a YouTube video or what you read on Reddit, but like, come and see for yourself. And if you're a Christian, come and see for yourself. Don't take your church's word for it or your preacher's word for it or your mama's word or your grandmama's word. Like, come and see Jesus for yourself. And that's what we're gonna look at today as we jump into our passage of these disciples of Jesus coming to see him, but they're not coming to see him for the first time. They, 
they thought they had already seen him. Like, they thought that they knew who he was and that, like, that they had hoped, okay, he's the Messiah, he's the one we've been waiting for, this is, this is the moment that our people have been waiting for forever, and they thought that they truly saw Jesus, but then everything changed because what they thought they saw was ripped away and they saw something else. You see, who they put their hope in and their trust in, they, they, they saw that man be arrested, be beaten, to be bludgeoned, to be spit on, to be laughed at, and to be crucified. In crucifixion, we kind of romanticize it. We make it into a symbol of, of our faith, but Roman crucifixion, first century Roman crucifixion was, it was about the most excruciating form of death someone could go through. It, it was not like an efficient way to kill someone. It was meant to draw the process out, to inflict as much pain as possible, to inflict as much humiliation as possible and terror as possible. Crucifixion was, was a form of like psychological terror and warfare on the people to say, you don't mess with Rome. This is what happens if you do. And so the people who are there who are witnessing this, they, they knew crucifixion in a way that we don't. They had heard the screams. They'd seen the crosses hanging there with rotting bodies and smelled it. And they saw that happen to the one they thought was their Messiah. And so as we approach the first Easter morning, like everything they thought they knew and they thought they believed, it was gone. And they're in hiding. They're terrified for their own lives because they think if they killed our leader, they're after us next. And that's where we pick up. We're going to be in John's account. Again, John is writing this. He's writing now as an old man. He's looking back and, and kind of reflecting on his time with Jesus and the account, thinking, i, I got to get this written down, so here's what happened. We're going to pick up in John chapter 20. If you've got a Bible, I invite you to open that up and, and follow along with us. Or if you've got it on a mobile device, it's going to be on our screens as well, um, whatever you feel comfortable with doing. Uh, but John chapter 20, starting in verse 1, we read that early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So it's early on Sunday morning, um, and, and John is choosing to focus in on Mary Magdalene. Uh, Mary was someone that, that had had her life radically changed by Jesus, and when she did, she became a devoted follower, followed him everywhere, uh, and just had this like heartfelt just passion and love and devotion to following Jesus as her teacher and as her Lord. And John, in his gospel account, chooses to focus in on her. But if you read Matthew, Mark, or Luke, uh, they list Mary, but they also say that there are several women with her. Uh, John, for whatever reason, is choosing just to focus on her, and he'll go into more detail on her encounter with the risen Jesus in the middle of this chapter. We're not actually going to look at that today, but I'd encourage you to spend some time reading that later on today. But what all the gospel writers mention is that Mary, is, she's the first woman that they mention. Like, if there's something significant about Mary. They all list her as as the first one uh, in the list of people that saw the empty tomb first, as if is there's something about Mary that's like, we have to go to the tomb today. We have to go and pay our respects and, uh, and give him a proper burial. That's what they were there to do. Uh, when Jesus was crucified, the Sabbath was approaching, and so the burial was very rushed. They get him in the tomb, and so Sunday morning, these women come to the tomb, and they're coming with spices and things to like re-embalm and re-prepare the body and to mourn and to give Jesus the burial they think he deserves. And it's like Mary is the one who is leading the way on this. And so John's like, I'm going to focus in and, and tell this story through Mary's perspective. And it says that she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved. Now, that's John who's writing this. Uh, he never refers to himself in any kind of like first-person way. He never says I or John. He says uh, the one that Jesus loved or the other disciple. So Mary and these other women, they come running to Peter and to John. And listen to what Mary says. She says, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we, we don't know where they've put him. 
couple of things. Notice, first of all, the, the plural pronoun we. So John's not denying that there's other women there. Again, he's just focusing on Mary. And, and, and just the, what, what does she say? She says, look, they've taken him out of the tomb. And we, we don't know where he's at. Like, like Mary is so worked up, she's so flustered at this moment, and her mind doesn't instantly jump. She doesn't, she doesn't go, hey, resurrection, hey, he's risen, hey, I knew this was going to happen. I think that's one of the mistakes that we make. If, if you've been in or around the Christian faith for a while, we kind of take things like this for granted, and we're like, yay, he's risen, he's risen indeed, woo, praise God, hallelujah. I mean, over the last couple of days, if you're on social media, there, you know all the posts and the things that say, it's Friday. But Sunday's coming. And, and that's great because, like, the resurrection is a source of hope. But I think we take for granted that at this moment, it wasn't for Mary. She's not thinking, I'm going to the tomb to see it empty and there's, he's, he's risen from the dead. She's, she's thinking, I'm going to go find a dead body and I'm going there to mourn. Her mind doesn't jump to, to resurrection because she thinks the way that, that we would if we were in her shoes. We have this thing in our heads called a brain, and sometimes we use it, not always, but sometimes we use it. And logically, our brain tells us that, okay, dead bodies, they don't move on their own. Like, an outside force has to animate that dead body to get it to move from one place to another. And so she thinks, man, like, Jesus had a lot of enemies. Crucified criminals don't get proper burials. They're usually left to rot. They're, they're tossed in holes in the ground. And so maybe someone is upset that Jesus is getting a proper burial. So someone has stolen the body. But she doesn't think resurrection because dead people don't rise. And it's kind of interesting, this is just a little side note, this is sometimes one of the, the critiques that people will throw at Christianity or, or like critics will bring up. They'll be like, you see, it's not true. People don't rise from the dead, so what you believe can't be true. Uh, in fact, I actually I saw a tweet this week, just yesterday or the day before, you know, right around Good Friday or, or Saturday, and, and it was someone prominent, someone had retweeted it, but it, was just, it just said, hey, this is your yearly reminder that people don't rise from the dead, as if that's some sort of like jab at, at Christianity that no one's ever thought of. It's like people don't rise from the dead, to which I say, duh. Like, I know that, but that's the point. Like, th that's not a slight at Christianity. That's saying, no, 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 that is the point. People don't rise from the dead. If resurrection was something that happened all the time, then the resurrection of Jesus wouldn't be saying anything significant or anything specific about his identity. He'd just be another person that rose from the dead. But the point is, people, that doesn't happen, and yet he did. And so Mary's not there. She's not in that headspace. She's going, someone has stolen the body, and Peter and John, they're like, okay, we got to go see this for themselves. And so they take off running. John tells us in verse 3 that Peter and the other disciple, talking about himself, they started for the tomb. <laughs> now this next little detail is, is one of the reasons, there's a lot of reasons why I take the gospel seriously, but it's details like this that kind of build that case for me. Because there's no point in John telling us this detail. He says, but both were running, but the other disciple, talking about himself, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Like, John just wants to work that in there, just so everybody knows, I'm faster than Peter. I mean, and John's writing as an old man, so Peter's most likely been, been like, uh, martyred in, in Nero's Rome at this point, so he's like, Peter can't even defend himself. For the rest of history, people will know that I am faster than Peter. Uh, if, as we read these next couple of verses, listen to how many times John just kind of sneaks up in there, I'm, I'm faster than Peter, I'm faster than Peter. And so they, they run to the tomb. Uh, and he bent over, so that's John who got there first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. I don't know that I would either. It's dark, it's morning, there's an empty tomb. I've seen this movie, it doesn't go well. This is the point in the movie where you're like, no, don't go in, like bad things are gonna happen. So John's outside, but Simon Peter came along behind him, because John got there first, and went straight into the tomb, which if you know anything about Peter, that's the Peter thing to do. Like, I, you know, think later, just act first. So Peter runs straight into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. 
and the cloth was still lying in its place. It was separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, (laughs) he just really wants us to know that, also went inside. And at this point, things start to, like, click in in John's mind. And and John is looking at, at a couple of things, and First of all, like, and again, the detail, I love the detail. Like John, like he's putting this together and he's looking at an empty tomb and, he, and he's seeing the, the grave clothes lying there and they're not just scattered about. It's like they're nicely, neatly folded, which is a really weird thing if you think, okay, somebody stole the body. It's like, okay, awkward. They decided to undress him first before they stole the body and they folded the clothes because their mamas taught them right, okay? You fold the clothes. It's like, so John's like, what is happening here? These, these clothes are here and he starts running over. I would imagine that the past three years of his life that he had spent with Jesus and things start to click for him and he gives us kind of his formula for how this happened and I hate to call it a formula because faith isn't a formula. It, the way that we come at these conclusions is different for everybody but I can't think of a better word than formula. John gives us this, this formula that we see throughout the Gospels. And if John could sit down and have a cup of coffee or, or whatever your particular drink of choice is, for me it would be a cup of coffee, and, and he, could, he could look at us and he would say, Here, here's the formula that I want to give you as well. Like, like, here's what it is, because this is at the very epicenter of the Christian faith. John says, as, as he went into the tomb, he saw and he believed. He saw and he believed. John is the first person to put the pieces together and go, he rose from the dead. John's the first person to think resurrection. He, he puts two and two together. He's like, okay, I got an empty tomb. I got clothes that are laying here. And he thinks back over the past three years and everything that Jesus said and everything that he had taught. And, and Jesus had taught about his death and resurrection on different occasions. And sometimes he was really cryptic about it. Other times he was very upfront about it. But the disciples never seemed to get it. And at this point, John is starting to get it. And he's putting it together, and it says he saw and he believed. And when he did, his entire world changed. The resurrection of Jesus reframed his life, his entire life. Because belief in our minds is different than what it is in in the biblical author's mind. See, belief for us as as modern Western people, we think of a mental exercise. Like belief is something in my mind, if it makes sense and it's true, and and, you know, I can have like a a list, you know, if there's things that I can check in a box and say these statements are true, these statements are false, whatever. Like that's how we think of belief. But in in the authors of scripture, the way they thought about it, it was much more what we would say when we say we trust. When I, not just trust in a fact, but I trust in someone. Like John is saying, like this is, this is more than just something that's going on in my life, but I'm, I see it and now I'm trusting. I'm leaning the entire weight of my life on this moment. The entire weight of John's life from this point forward was built on, I'm seeing an empty tomb and believing he rose from the dead. It changed everything for John. In this one particular moment, like in this moment of time, he, everything changed because he, he would reflect back over everything that Jesus had taught and said and did and realize it was true. 24 hours before this, he thought all of it was a hoax. He thought all of it was false, but now he's reflecting back and going, it's true, and he would undoubtedly think what, what Jesus taught about the kingdom and how Jesus came saying, look, this is, this is what my kingdom is like, and it, it's, it's open, and it's welcome to everyone, and everyone is invited, and it's for the poor and the broken and, and the sinful and, and the outcast, and, and like that's who my kingdom is for, and John would remember that, and Jesus teaching about love and forgiveness and compassion and grace and Jesus healing people and displaying his power. As, as John's staring at an empty tomb, it's like, it reframes all of that. He says it's true. But more than just reframing the things that Jesus taught and believing that they were true and the nature of his kingdom of believing that is true, John begins to realize 
the, the, the picture that Jesus gives of God is absolutely true as well. A few chapters before this, John records uh, an encounter between Jesus and another one of his disciples, Philip, and Philip's like, Jesus, okay, everything, yeah, we're kind of confused and stuff. Can you just, just show us the Father? And that would be enough. In other words, just show us what God is like. Jesus, just tell us what God is like, and I love Jesus' response to him. He says, Philip, you know, you, you've been with me for three years. Don't you know that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? In other, in other words, like, like you're, you're, you want to know what God is like, look at me. The, he, Jesus says that he and the Father are one, which would have been a crazy thing to say if, if, if Jesus hadn't then risen from the dead. Like, that's absolute just blasphemy. His followers should have walked away from him at that point. But as John reflects back on that, he realizes it was true that when, when Jesus said that if you want to, if you, you, there's no more guessing, you don't know how to guess about what the nature of God is and what his character is and what's near to his heart, you look at the person of Jesus and John realizes it's all true. And it's dawning on John at this moment, he says, I, I saw it and I believed, I trusted. And John and Peter and all the other disciples, they would eventually, they would see Jesus alive from the dead and they would have conversations with him. They'd have interactions with him. Um, the one interaction is, is kind of weird. They have breakfast with Jesus on the beach, and they have fish for breakfast, which makes me kind of queasy, but okay, that was normal then, I guess. I mean, I like fish, but not for breakfast. And John records these interactions that the risen Jesus has with people. And there's one particular interaction that I kind of want to look at before we wrap up. At the end of, of this chapter, of John 20, because it brings into reality uh, the just the situation, it brings the reality of, of the circumstances to bear because, again, maybe this is just how I think, but I would guess I'm not the only person who thinks this way, that whenever, whenever I read something like how John came to faith and, and realized that Jesus has risen, I'm just like, well, of course, that's just a nice churchy story. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, he saw and believed. Woo, good job. Like, so it's just, uh, it, it, to me, it's like, well, just trust, and everybody believed, and everybody lived happily ever after, but John, as he documents some of these encounters, lets us know that that wasn't actually the case. It wasn't, everybody didn't come to a point where they just saw and believed. Because the journey of faith and, and, and seeing Jesus for ourselves, it looks different for different people. And so John, John records uh, another disciple, his name's Thomas, maybe you've heard of him, and he gets the nickname Doubting Thomas because of what we're about to read. It's a shame that he gets the nickname Doubting Thomas because everybody else doubted too, but Thomas is the one that gets picked on. And here's what happens, this is verse 24, it says, Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. And so the disciples were gathered together. It was the resurrection evening. So that morning they go, they see the empty tomb. Later that night, they're all gathered together. And it says that uh, they're in this, this room with the doors locked because they're terrified of the Jewish leaders. That they, they think if they killed our leader, they're gonna kill us next. And Jesus shows up and appears to them. And in that moment, the disciples, they believe, but for some reason, we don't, John doesn't tell us why. Thomas isn't there. You know, you know, maybe he's like, I, I can't stick around, I'm done, it's, it's all been too much. You know, Thomas, maybe he's grieving, you know, we all grieve differently. Maybe Thomas is like, I need some alone time, but for whatever reason, Thomas isn't there when Jesus appears. So John tells us that the other disciples, they, they told him, we have seen the Lord. So they go and find Thomas, and of course, they, they want to tell him, he's like, hey, look, we've seen him, he, he's alive, like we thought he was dead, but you know, you know the, the rumor that's been floating around, because this rumor was floating all around the city of Jerusalem and the surrounding areas, there's Jesus sightings popping up everywhere, and it's like they go to, to, to Thomas, and they're like, look, it's true, we've seen him. But Thomas isn't buying it. Thomas responds and says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and I put my finger where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Peter, John, you guys, the rest of you, I love you guys, but I'm not going to take your word for it. 
Like, I, I, I can't just take your word for it. I'm, I won't believe unless I see it for myself. And, and I, I, don't, I don't question Thomas. I mean, I, I would probably have a similar response. I mean, he, he's got to be thinking, I just, spent the, I just wasted the last three years of my life following this guy that I put all my hope in that I thought was the Messiah. I'm not going to waste three more minutes. So unless I see it for myself, I won't believe. A week passes. And the disciples are gathered back together again. Verse 26 says, a week later, the disciples were in the house again. Thomas was with them this time. The doors were locked, and Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Because they were probably terrified. If somebody shows up in a locked room, I would be a little terrified too. And he said to Thomas, listen to what he says. Like he, he counters his doubts and his skepticism like directly. He says, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. In other words, Thomas, it's me. It's me. You're seeing me with your own eyes. Stop doubting and believe. And when Thomas sees him for himself, he has this, this instant reaction. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God, I see you for who you are. And Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Thomas, you've seen me with your own eyes. Now trust me. You've seen me for yourself. You're not relying on what John and Peter and all the guys told you. Now no, now you've seen me for yourself. Trust me. Trust me. And then Jesus leaves like his immediate context as far as who he's talking to right there in the moment. And he looks forward and he addresses us. So he's talking to Thomas, because you've seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who aren't here with us right now. Blessed are those who haven't spent the last three years, you know, traveling around with me. Blessed are those that didn't, you know, with their own eyes witness me be uh, crucified, who didn't see me be buried, who aren't looking at me right now. Blessed are those who are going to come after all of you as Jesus is addressing his earliest followers. He says, blessed are those who haven't seen me but still believe, those who will come to believe through you, through your testimony, as, as, as he would be looking at people like Matthew and John and Peter, and, and guys, the things that you say, that you are my witnesses, as he would later tell them, people are gonna come to believe through you, and blessed are they when they see me through your account. And John actually tells us, as he wraps up this, uh, this resurrection account, as he wraps, kind of puts a, a, an ending on this as to why he wrote he says that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. So look, Jesus did a lot of other stuff, so much so that it wouldn't even fit in the book, and he would have been aware, as he's the last gospel writer to write, that he would have been aware that Matthew had an account out there, and Mark, and Luke, and, and now his, and he's like, we couldn't even begin to write down everything that Jesus said and did and taught, but that's not the point. He says the point wasn't for us to record everything that Jesus ever did. He said, Here, here's why I'm writing. Verse 31, he says, but these are written so that you may believe, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In other words, John would sit down across from us and say, look, I, I've written the things that I've written so that you would believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be, so that the resurrection could answer that question for you as well. I, I've written these things down so that you could then trust and lean the weight of your life on that reality. I, I've written so that you could see him for yourself, and not rely on just 
someone else's experience. I've written this so that you could see what we've seen, the resurrected king, a resurrected Jesus. And John, if if he could have a conversation with us, he would say, listen, when we saw him, it changed everything for us. We went from a group of people who were hiding in a room, afraid for our lives, lost and without hope, and they burst into the streets and proclaimed the message that Jesus is risen. And they all gave their lives for it, except for John, who lived to be an old man after a lot of torture and imprisonment. But it changed everything for them, and through what they taught and what they did and the movement that they carried on, it changed the world. And John says, look, I want you to see that same truth, that same reality. The resurrection changes everything. It changes the entire expression of the Christian faith. And so often I think we miss that. Even for those of us that are Christians, we miss the significance of the resurrection. Because without the resurrection, we turn Christianity into a quaint little religion. You know, it's nice and it's good and it's got some nice things to offer, but there's really no power to it. And there's no love, there's no transformation. We we, we, without the resurrection, it's like we take Jesus and his teachings and his life, we say, well, that could have been the foundation of a nice little faith, you know? God sends a prophet, and the prophet teaches some good things. The prophet has a message of forgiveness, and he dies to even as an example of forgiveness. And then it's done, and it's over. And that's the foundation of a nice religion, and you can do some okay things with that, but that's not Christianity. That's not what it means to follow Jesus. If that kind of religion existed, you know, we would say, well, that's good, that's nice, that's, that's, that's kind, but the resurrection actually changes that narrative, and it says, no, 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 it's not that God sent a prophet to show us some things or teach us some things about God, it's that God himself showed up, and you sa- he said, you want to know what I look like, you're looking right at me, and the resurrection puts the exclamation point on that. To where we're, we, we no longer are relying on what somebody else says about God, but we can see him for ourselves. We're no longer relying on saying, well, this is what God's like, and this is how you have to follow him, and this is what his heart is. Like, wait, 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 no. No, I see Jesus, and in Jesus, I see the perfect revelation of who God is, and the resurrection is why I believe in that. And that's a whole different ballgame. That's something much better. That's something life-giving. We're not following the teachings of a prophet in the past. We're following the person of Jesus in the present because he's alive, and he's moving, and he's working, and he's here in our midst right now. That's the resurrection of Jesus. And that's the invitation for us, for all of us today, is to come and see the resurrected king. Come and see the resurrected Jesus and to see him for yourself. And I don't, I don't know where you're at on that journey because there's a lot of different people who are here in the room, a lot of different people watching online, and I would imagine we're all at different points in life and faith and stories. And some of you I know pretty well, and I kind of know where you're at on that journey. And we've been journeying together, and that's awesome. And others of you I don't know, but we're all at different places, but the invitation is the same. It's come see the resurrected Jesus for yourself. And when you do, see what happens. See what happens. You know, for some of you, uh, you might be committed Christians right now and you're thinking, well, this invitation's not for me because I've already seen him and I already believe all that. And I would say it's absolutely for us. We've got to see the resurrected Jesus every day because the minute we get our eyes off of him, we quickly become cold-hearted, judgmental, spiritually dead religious people. We've got to keep our eyes on the resurrected king. And some of you, maybe you're, you're on the John end of the spectrum and you're like, I see and I believe and, and let me just say, well, let me invite you to allow that to, to reframe the entire way that you see life. Like if you, if you see and believe that Jesus is the resurrected king, that means everything he says about you is true. That he loves you and he forgives you and he cares about you and, and, and that he's inviting you to be a part of his kingdom means everything he says about the world and about justice and about peace and about reconciliation and about forgiveness and compassion and good news for the poor and the brokenhearted. That means it's all true. And so if you're like John saying, I see and I believe, I'm leaning the weight of my life on that. 
then let that reframe everything about your reality. I'd be willing to bet there are more than maybe just a few of you in here who lean on the Thomas end of things, and you're like, meh, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. I've got questions. i got doubts. I'm a little skeptical. And that's okay, too. That's actually a healthy thing to be questioning, to be skeptical, to try to be figuring things out. I, I would just invite you to say, hey, bring your doubts. Bring your questions. And, and it, I, I would honestly, I would go as far as saying that if you're honest about those and you're not like coming at questions and doubts with an agenda but saying, I've got these questions and doubts and I'm willing to chase them down and see wherever they go, Jesus will honor that. And I think in time you'll see the resurrected king as well. And when we do, everything changes. And so here's what, um, here's what I want us to do as we kind of wrap things up. Uh, I'm going to pray here in just a minute, and we're going to move into our time of communion. We're going to sing a song, and then we're going to be out of here. But um, as we do that, I just want to give us a chance to respond to maybe what God's been doing here. Maybe some of you are seeing Jesus for the first time in a new way, or you're getting reacquainted with him. Um, maybe you're a, a follower, a committed follower of Jesus, and you're just like, I- I'd like just a minute to like process this and, and, and pray and reflect on, on God's grace and his goodness, his love. Um, so I want to create space for us to do that, and there's no come to the altar moment, there's no raise your hand, come up front, um, there's no magic prayer, we, we don't really do that here, because again, faith isn't a formula, faith and following Jesus is a journey that we go on, and it's a journey that we go on together, uh, that we, we, we journey through this and, and pursue Jesus uh, as a body, as a family, uh, and so I just want to invite you along on that journey. It's an open invitation that at any point during the rest of our time together, if you've got a question you want to ask, if you'd like prayer for any reason, if you want to know what your next step is in following Jesus, um, at any point during the rest of the service, come track me down, um, track down Pastor Paul, uh, head back to HC Connect outside these doors and begin a conversation. We'd love to just see how we can come alongside you as you pursue Jesus. And if you're part of our HC Online family and you're watching right now, um, you can send us a chat, a DM, an email, uh, and uh, Pastor Carrie is going to be your person, and she'll get with you and and help you along that journey. Um, So we're really excited to see what God is going to do in each of us as we fix our eyes on the resurrected Jesus. I'd love to pray for you. God, we thank you for this incredible truth. We thank you that the the foundation of our faith is not anything other than this singular event in history, that it is the resurrection because through the resurrection we see the true nature of who you are. God, we see that, that, that Jesus, that you are the perfect representation of God, that your love, your compassion, your, your goodness, your graciousness, it was poured out and displayed on the cross and you came with the resurrection to put the exclamation point on it. We thank you for that truth. I pray that that would reshape and reframe everything about our realities. I pray that we would be resurrection people day in and day out, not just once a year at Easter time. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.